0: Amen. Well, why don't you guys go ahead and take a seat? Um, Hey, I need you to bear with me a little bit today. I have been under the weather since Thanksgiving and I can't shake it. So today I might be coughing a little bit, um, but we're going to get through it together. All right. If you have a Bible, grab it and meet me over in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to continue in our series through the names of God. Today we are going to look specifically at the name Mighty God. So as you turn in there, Advent. Advent's one of my favorite times of year if you're new to Christianity or you haven't grown up in a church that celebrates Advent. Advent is all about taking a couple weeks in anticipation for the return of Christ or for the birth of Christ. Uh, These Advents that happen within our lives, they're there to help us worship. So today, we're going to continue on in this by looking specifically at another name that God gives us. Hey, in in 1543, Nicholas Copernicus made a groundbreaking discovery that changed the entire world. Changed the way we do science, it changed the way that we think about everything up until this point. Up until that discovery, people believed that the sun revolved around the earth. Well, he made the discovery that actually quite the opposite is true, that the earth revolves around the sun. See, for most of us, it's not a big deal to confess that the entire world doesn't revolve around you, right? It's not that hard for you to understand that you're actually quite small in the grand scheme of things. However, whenever you think about this and you recognize that for the first time, something shifts in your mind. Right When you start to see yourself properly in the grand scheme of things, it actually does something revolutionary to you. This groundbreaking discovery that that he made changed the way they view the world. The groundbreaking discovery that you need to make today might be that you're not the center of your own universe. When you make that discovery, something humbling happens in you. So you have to understand that just as the earth revolves around the sun, that, (coughs) excuse me, just as the earth revolves around the sun, that you have a mighty God that you revolve around as well. What you're going to see today in this Christmas series and in this message today is that you have a God that will allow you, if you see him properly, to put him back at the center. And as you put him back at the center, and as you allow him to orbit and you go around him, it will change everything about you because honestly, some of you might be wondering, and if you're not living underneath a rock, you should be asking some of these questions. Why in the world are things going on the way they are? Why is the world so divided? Why, why is it seems like there's no moral grounding today? Why can, why can university presidents get in front of Congress and not make easy decisions, right? Why is society in such a terrible place? Why do we have more freedom, access to money, flexibility than we've ever wanted, and yet at the same time that, that it seems like we have more knowledge than ever before, Why is life expectancy going down? Why are suicide rates going up? Why is depression at an all-time high? Maybe, just maybe, the answer is, even though we know it to be true, we still live as if God orbits around us. And maybe that puts us in a very unhealthy place. So what if today we make the groundbreaking discovery in our own lives that we have a mighty God, and that mighty God is worth orbiting around? Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, With justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Think for just a second how mighty God is. 700 years before Jesus ever stepped foot onto this planet, the prophet Isaiah is making a declaration to you exactly what's going to happen. In this verse, verse 6 alone, you have 10 years of seminary compiled into one statement. Look at it again. For to us, a child is born. I I don't know about you, but if I were going to make up a story, it wouldn't be like this. If I were going to make up a story about how I was going to change the world and I was going to be God, I think it would look more like the fact that I would come down, I would rule with an iron fist, I would take out governments, and I would subject the world to exactly what my rule would be. But God doesn't do that. God's plan is far bigger than my small plan. You see, God didn't just want to fix the temporary problems of an oppressive government. He wanted to fix the human condition. And the only way to fix the human condition was for him to enter into the condition. Think about that. 700 years before Jesus ever stepped foot onto this planet, he tells you God would come. For to us, a child is born. He understood that if he was going to fix your deeper issues, he would have to do more than fix your temporary problems. He understood that the only way to fix the broken heart that you and I all have and the human condition that all of us live with is for him to enter into humanity, literally to incarnate (coughs) himself, to become a human being. Matter of fact, if, if you hold your place and go to the right, just a few books, if you can find it, the prophet Habakkuk. He's dealing with the same struggle where the prophet Habakkuk, he's actually arguing with God a little bit because he doesn't know what's going on. And in this small book, as he wrestles with God, by the way, I told you this last week, names in the Bible mean stuff. If you didn't know this, the word Habakkuk literally means to wrestle. And the entire book is about him wrestling with God. And he doesn't understand the world is broken. He's sitting there saying, God, what is going on? The nation of Israel has been conquered. Uh, We've been deported to another country. We don't know how to handle what's going on. And listen to what God tells him. He says, look among the nations and see. He says, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your day that you would not believe if I told. You know what that work was? God was creating the greatest rescue plan in the history of the world. Watch this. A couple hundred years later, a child would be born. That child would be born in Bethlehem. And that child would grow up. He would live the perfect life that you could never live. He would die your substitutionary death in your place, and then he would raise from the dead. And then 50 days later in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, a group of people from all over the world traveled back to Jerusalem. Do you know who those people were? They were the people back in the days of the prophet Habakkuk who were spread out all over the world. And as those people came back to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, the spirit of the living God falls on those people. They go back to their homes and they start the greatest church planting movement in the history of the world. And God is looking at Habakkuk and says, if I begin to tell you what I'm doing, you wouldn't be able to understand. But what I want you to know is I am changing the world. So much so, if you read the book of Acts properly, Paul, he shows up in all these cities, and he says it's met by the brothers. Well, who are the brothers that started these churches? They're these people. How did these people get to those places? Because God deported them 700 years prior to that, and he was starting the greatest church planning movement ever. Historians will tell you that the most perplexing thing about Christianity was the rapid development and the spread of it around the world. They would tell you that every other world religion developed over a long runway, but they don't have an explanation for Christianity because Christianity popped up out of nowhere. And the reality is, it didn't pop up out of nowhere because your God has been moving history since the beginning of time to accomplish his mission in the world. Think about this room. Think about this room for just an example. I was born in Germany. You got people in this room that were born in Korea, in Nigeria, in South Africa, and all of us somehow in some way in 2023 are sitting in this room worshiping King Jesus right now. If you didn't know, like he says, look among the nations. I'm doing a mighty work And if I were even to begin to tell you what I'm doing right now in 2023, as you think the whole thing is falling apart, you wouldn't begin to understand. But here's what I know. God's not surprised by any of it. He knows what he's doing. And here's how he did it. God became man. God became man, for unto us a child is born. I love the way John Calvin said it. The son of God became the son of man so that sons of men could become sons of God. That's the second Reason Not just that God became man, but watch this. To us, a son is given. See, it's, it's, it's one thing for God to become a man, but he couldn't just be a child. He had to be the God-man. In, in order for it to happen, he, a son had to be given. I told you this, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave... Think about how mighty your God is. He's so mighty that he would be willing to enter into his own creation to change all of eternity. I'm telling you, this is why Christmas matters so much. The God who created the earth, the God who created the stars in the sky, came to live in his own creation. That God came back to earth, and he is the only king that will be mighty enough to worship. Think about a God that you can worship for a second. Think about it. Think about Jesus. For just a second. Jesus was not born into a trust fund family. He didn't have money. He was poor, lived in obscurity, never published a book, never had more than 11 followers, really, didn't make millions of dollars. He humbled himself, walked on this earth. He lived your perfect life, died in your place, rose from the dead. And if you think about it, we have defined human history by this guy. It is no accident. Your mighty God was a child that was born into obscurity because he was son that was given, the rightful son and the heir of the kingdom. This is a remarkable king. Now listen to it. And his name shall be called. Remember this. This is how you should refer to God in his character. Wonderful counselor. I told you that last week. Wonderful meaning words too great to describe. Counselor meaning one that you should submit to with authority. Mighty God. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Let's, let's drill down specifically on this second name, Mighty God. Y'all, the child that was born, the son that was given, he is a mighty God, and he is mighty. He's mighty for one reason alone, because he actually has the ability to change you. You see, everything in this world offers you reformation or reorganization, but Jesus offers you transformation, transformation. You don't need a better version of yourself. You need to become something entirely new. And Jesus has the ability to do that because God came down, because he put on flesh, because he lived in your place. He can actually fix your brokenness. That's mighty. Honestly, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're carrying into this room. Some of you feel like you have this perpetual state of never measuring up. Like you haven't gotten to the point that you wish that you would have. Some of you are dealing with sicknesses in your family. You're dealing with marriages that are falling apart or kids that just aren't listening to you. And you're wondering, what in the world can you do? You can put a Band-Aid on it. Or you can listen to the transformative work that Jesus can do in your life. Because if you try to fill your void with anything other than him, you're going to be grasping for air. But listen to what it says. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. You see the transformative work? There's nothing in this world (coughs) that has the ability to make you a new creation like he is. Tell me of anything mightier than that, that can actually fix you from the inside out. Tell me anything that has more power than Jesus. Matter of fact, there's actually three things, three defining things about Jesus That makes him mightier and different than anything in this world. Let's look at him. Number one is this. God is omniscient. That means that he is all-knowing. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to him? You ever think about that? The thing that makes God different than you and I is that he knows everything. Like, that means that he has a level of understanding that you don't. And I think this is really important. Because for him to have a level of understanding that you don't means that he might be doing things that you don't understand. I remember when my oldest daughter, who is now 10, was three. <clears throat> and we had, a, we had a nanny at the time because we were both working out of the house. And, and we got a phone call that she, she was bouncing on a ball at the front window. And she slipped off the ball, hit her chin on the window, and busted her tooth through her lip. So we had to take her to the hospital. Come to find out she needed surgery, and because of where it was, it was a plastic surgery. Now, imagine this. Imagine that I'm sitting down with my daughter, and I'm trying to explain to her what's about to happen. Hey, sweetheart, we're going to take you to the hospital. Some strange guy wearing a strange mask with gloves on is going to come, and he's going to take a sharp knife, and he's going to cut your face open. But don't worry. Before he cuts your face open, he's going to take a needle filled with poison, and he's going to put that into your arm, and it's going to make you go into a state of unconsciousness so that he can cut your face open. By the time he's done cutting your face open, he's going to stitch you back together, and then he's going to, you're going to wake up, you're probably going to hurt for a couple weeks, and it's all going to be fine, you're going to be okay. It's like trying to explain chemotherapy to somebody. Hey, they're going to kill your body to save your body. Like, what? It makes no sense. No, instead, what I did is I walked up to my daughter, and I said, listen, Emma, you don't understand what's about to happen, and I don't, I don't expect you to. What I need you to understand is that I love you, and what you're about to go through is for your good, even if you don't understand it, will you just trust me? I mean, it, doesn't that it make sense as a good father? Like, I'm probably way smarter than my three-year-old was. Now, here's my question for you. If I'm smarter than a three-year-old, can you not in your mind think for just a second, maybe God is infinitely smarter than you? Maybe there are just things in this world that don't make a whole lot of sense, and because we're blinded to our cultural moment, it's not going to make sense. It's not. Like, yeah, look, I struggle with this. If I can just have a moment of transparency, I wish that everything in the Bible made sense to me. There are certain things in the Bible that I'm like, God, if I were doing it that way, I probably wouldn't have done that. And he's probably sitting there thinking, good thing you're not God. Y'all, there are moments in this life that you think are right, and in a hundred years from now, they're going to think you are an idiot because you might be a slave to your cultural moment and you don't even recognize it. What if instead of claiming that you have all knowledge, you submit to the one who actually does and realize it's okay to know that you don't actually agree with everything that the Bible says. That's where his lordship comes into play, okay? That's number one. Number two, God's omnipresent. That means that God is all present. C.S. Lewis, he had the best illustration of this that I've ever seen. He says, imagine that time is like a sheet of paper and it's linear on the sheet of paper. So he says, imagine like, you know, you have 1452 here, 1685 here, 1993 here. Well, on this sheet of paper, you can only be at one place at one time. He goes, what you have to understand about God is that God's not on the paper, God's off the paper, which means that he's looking down on time, which means that he is in all places at all times. He would tell you that means he's in 1254 in 2068 at the same exact time. Think about that. If that's true, that means that what you experience in redemptive history as it's unfolding, God doesn't just know, he's already there. Yo, that means that because God is all present, because he's all-knowing, that every single moment of your life and every single moment of history is already determined by a good God. He knows what's going to happen in this world. He's not surprised by it. He knows what's going to happen in your life, and he's not surprised by it. He wasn't surprised when sin entered the world. He's not surprised by any of it, and it's not a reaction to any of it. It was God's good plan from the very beginning to send his son into the world. That, that makes the Christmas story absolutely incredible, by the way. That means that your son, given the child born, was always God's plan, from a mighty God to bring him the most glory in this world. That means that God knows exactly what he's doing, because he operates out of a sense of love that is greater than you could ever imagine, and a sense of knowledge that is all-knowing. Y'all, if you're not starting to understand this, here's what I need you to get. You revolve around God not the other way around. I mean, seriously, can you honestly not see how absolutely ridiculous it is sometimes that we expect God to cater to our needs? Some, some, somehow, if he doesn't fit into our cultural moment or our cultural paradigm, he's not good. Let me just say this. Sometimes I hear people say things like, the, the structures of the Bible are so archaic, they don't work today. Like seriously, do you, really, do you really think that God's not powerful enough to be relevant 2,000 years ago and relevant today? Like whenever he says things like marriage between one man and one woman for a lifetime is the best thing, do you not think that he knows what he's doing? By the way, all statistics would actually tell you that that's still true. The nuclear family revolving around a husband and a wife that stay together for a lifetime statistically have the best outcomes. God knows what he's doing. Here's the point. When you submit to God's authority and live by his plan, everything gets better. And maybe just maybe the reason that culture is falling apart is because we're waiting on God to orbit around us and we're not the center of the universe. Number three, God's omnipotent. That means he can do anything. And when I say anything, I mean anything. He's a miracle worker. Like he spoke and the world came into existence. He breathed and he brought life into you. When he comes back, he's going to fix the world. If God wants to do it, if he wants to save you, save your kids, heal you, he can. And if God wanted to rewrite history through the Christmas story, what makes us think that that's impossible for him? Think about all the ways that God displays his power in this world. Let me give you three of them really quickly that he does it through you. Here's letter A. God displays his power in you. Y'all, it's a miracle that you even exist. At some point, your parents decided after a good night that you were gonna come into this world and out of nothing came something. Think about this. Think about how intricate you are. Matter of fact, they say that the human eye that you possess is the most complex piece of material in the universe. Did you know that your fingerprint has 40 different unique characters and nobody has one like yours? Now think about it. Your fingerprint has that. They say the human retina has 256 unique characters. They say that the human eye detects over 10,000 different color hues and will possess 24 million different images in your lifetime, and God spoke, and out of nowhere, the eye existed. It's so complex that scientists don't even know how to replicate it. Think about that. That same God who spoke the, your eye into existence knows every hair on your head, knew you in your mother's womb, and he breathed life into you so much so that he said when you were dead in your sins he didn't leave you to despair but he came to die in your place to give you a new heart. Listen to what Jeremiah 31:31 31, 31 says. It says behold the days are coming declares the Lord <clears throat> when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Listen to it. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, And each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Doesn't that sound like Revelation 21? When he says that same exact statement, I will be their God, and they will be my people. I will remember their sins no more. I will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Your mighty God displayed his mighty power by writing his law on your heart which is the same thing of saying he gave you transformation. Do you know Peter, the apostle Peter says that angels long to have what you have. Do you know what you have that they don't have? You have the very heart of God. Think about that. You you are a child of God because the king of the universe put on flesh to die in your place and to adopt you into his family. Like what a mighty God Christmas gives you. Here's Here's letter B. God displayed his power by doing his work for you. Not just in you, but for you. That's the gospel. Jesus in my place. If you really think about the gospel, Jesus didn't just come to live and die for you. He died instead of you. There's nothing more powerful than the act of forgiveness that Jesus gave you. Think about forgiveness. When you forgive somebody, no matter what you forgive, you're choosing to absorb the cost of that penalty. So imagine today, you know, I'm driving out of the parking lot and one of you guys hit me with your car. And I say, you know what, no problem, we're still at church, I'll cuss you when I leave, but I'll forgive you now. (laughs) What happens in that moment? If I allow you to go, the car's still broken, I still have to absorb the cost of the car. Even though you're forgiving the cost of the penalty, I'm taking it on myself. That's what happens with any transgression or any forgiveness. If you think about that, this is what happened when Jesus died for you. He absorbed the cost for you. So so we like to talk about salvation as a free gift. It's free to you, and it costs God everything. And for some odd reason, we still operate with this assumption that we're not all that bad. Hey, you realize how this works. So imagine I take this water. All right, imagine the water is completely pure. Okay, I take a sip of it. Boy, you don't want what I got right now. And Logan, I give this to you. Would you take it? Would you drink it? No. Because it's completely impure at that moment. Put a little drop of poison in there, the whole thing is corrupted. That's how sin works, right? It's not that you just did one thing. It's Imagine trying to stand in front of a judge, and, and you're, you're talking to him, you're like, but judge, I only killed one person. you realize how many people there are in this world? I only killed one of them. Like, I'm actually pretty good. If you only knew how many people I wanted to kill in my life. <laughs> I only did it once. What are the judge going to say to you? You're ridiculous. You're a murderer. You've killed somebody. You see, the reality is, if you break one law, you're a lawbreaker. And for some odd reason, we try to live with this cosmic scale of like, yeah, but I'm better than that guy. Why is that guy always Hitler? Of course, congratulations, you're better than that guy. Right? That's not the, that's not the measuring stick, y'all. The measuring stick is perfection. Right? Like I told you before, if I'm 99% faithful to my wife, I'm completely unfaithful. That's the how this thing works. But this is why Christmas is so amazing. Christmas is amazing because God at Christmas became just and the justifier. He became both. He worked in you because his justice means that he satisfied his wrath by taking the penalty on himself. That's how forgiveness works. He chose to absorb it in himself, which means he's just, but he's also the justifier because he did it himself. That's the beauty of Christmas. It's what makes him so good. Now you remember this. I'm sorry. Look at Colossians chapter one. Listen to how he describes himself. Listen, this is Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. This This is your mighty God. The firstborn of all creation. Now, if you didn't know this, he's not actually saying he was born. This is called preeminence. It's a status. Okay, when you're the firstborn, it means you're rightfully the head. That's what he's talking about here. For by him... For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Show me someone more mighty than that God who is still willing to lay aside his authority to die in your place, to forgive you, and to call you into his family. He is an amazing God that worked in you. Let her see the last one. God displayed his power by working through you. Yo, what's amazing about the Christmas story is it doesn't end with you. The God who put on flesh and came into this world is the same God who decided to put his spirit inside of every single Christ follower so that he can multiply the gospel all over the world. You remember I told you 2 Corinthians 5 17. Listen to what the rest of that passage says. So he says this. All of this is from God. Now, if you back up one verse, not all of this, remember, he says, you're a new creation. But therefore, the old has passed away and the new has come. Now, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and here it is, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You get this, right? If God just wanted to bring you to heaven after you became a Christ follower, he would have just tractor-beamed you right up. The reality is he didn't do it because you are here to build his kingdom. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to you. Y'all, what he's saying is your vertical reconciliation with God always leads to horizontal reconciliation with one another. Think about it. What's the greatest commandment of all? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They go together. So what does he say? You are his ambassador. That means that you speak for the king. That's what an ambassador does. Think about the amazing stewardship opportunity we have in this life. The king, the king gave you a message of reconciliation. Some of you are waiting for God to speak in your Cheerios. The only thing my Cheerios have ever said is, ooh. <laughs> He's speaking through you. He's given you the message of Reconciliation. Like, I don't care if you're a stay-at-home mom or a global CEO. I don't care if you're a teenager or a retiree. The same exact spirit that miraculously put a baby inside of Mary's womb and raised the Savior from the dead lives inside of you. Think about that. The problem, the problem in today's world is that we have created this secular, sacred divide. The problem is some of you still believe this lie. You believe, like, I'm the Varsity-level Christian. That somehow God has called to give this miraculous message in a subpar sermon every week. And you're just JV level to come and hear me talk. That's not what this is all about. The reality is, is my job is to equip us to go be the church. See, my job as the pastor is to challenge you to recognize that you should fan into flame this spirit that lives inside of you. And if we really want to see God's kingdom expand to the whole world, it happens when Christians take up the mantle that God has already given you. You have the greatest calling ever. All all you have to do is start to learn how to intersect your life with the things you're already doing and do it with gospel intentionality. Do what you already do and do it well where you're at. That's God's mighty plan. don't you get it? There are 7 billion people in this world waiting on you to tell them the good news about Jesus. And what God decided to do was not just come into this world 2,000 years ago, but then to put himself into every single Christ follower on this planet. Y'all, Christmas was not just an event. Christmas was what set the greatest rescue plan in motion 2,000 years ago. When people look at you, do they see Jesus working in you and through you? Y'all, I want you to know that the only reason why I'm on this stage right now is because of the grace of God. I'm no different than you. Matter of fact, I was voted least likely to ever be on this stage I I was some broke kid from the suburbs of Tampa that should never be standing here. And yet, and yet, because of the grace of God, I get to have what I think is the greatest job ever. That's what Christmas does. It changes your orbit. And it changes your mindset from ownership to stewardship. It puts you in a position to be able to give because you've received Y'all, you don't need good advice, you don't need a healthier life, you don't need more stuff. You need forgiveness and healing in the deepest places, and that only comes from a mighty God. The message of Christmas is that God was mighty enough to humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, that he gave the greatest gift ever for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave himself. And when you fully realize that, it begins to reorient your life around him. And that's what Christmas is about. Christmas and Advent is about you taking a moment and reorienting your life around the greatest story ever told. And you stop living for yourself and you start orbiting around something even greater. See, salvation and grace frees you from the love of self and it deploys you into this world as grace agents. You you get this too. It's always better to give than it is to receive. And this is why you get more joy out of doing that. Like when you change someone's life, it is so satisfying. It's way more satisfying than getting something. I don't know about you, but like every time I get something, it's cool for two days and then I want the next good thing. But whenever I'm a part of something that God is doing, y'all, it is so fulfilling. And that's what he wants to do in your life. See, as you live in this reality, what you begin to do is you begin to be filled up because you realize that you're caught up in the orbit that you're always meant to live in. It's like the movie Les Mis. You know, the character Jean Valjean, he, he's a criminal and he, he steals a bunch of stuff and, and he gets caught by the police and the priest. Instead of turning him in, what does he do in that moment? He tells him, no, no, I actually gave him that stuff. And the story is, you guys all know this because your wives made you watch the movie like mine did. It changes them. It wrecks them. Why does it wreck him? Because that's what Amazing Grace does. Right, I've told you this story. The writer, John Newton, Amazing Grace, slave trader at the depths of his despair, gets wrecked by God. And that same guy is the same guy who writes the greatest hymn ever written. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was once lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. There's nothing like getting caught up in the orbit of God that changes you quite like grace. When you realize for the first time in your life that you are more sinful than you could ever imagine and yet more loved than you could ever dare think, it changes you. When you realize that God loved you so much that he would die for you and die instead of you, and that he didn't just die for you and die instead of you, that he lives within you, and that he wants to change you from the inside out, it changes everything about you. That's what the Christmas story is. The Christmas story is about God reorienting your life back to the way it was always supposed to be. He's the only God mighty enough to take that gravitational pull of your hearts away from yourself and put them back into the orbit where actual joy and satisfaction and life are found. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. You truly are a wonderful counselor that speaks to us in the moments that we need it. You truly are a mighty God whose plan is greater than ours, who did the unthinkable, who is was able to accomplish the thing that you and I would never be able to do. So Jesus, as we get ready for this Christmas season, I pray that you would reorient our lives. You would help us to fix our minds and our hearts on our Savior. And I pray that we would worship you for you are worthy of it. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.